0: I suggest that we can prove the existence of God from the impossibility of the contrary. As Christians, we do not give up our intellect. The strongest evidence and argument for the existence of God is that without a belief in God, you can't prove anything. How can the material? That's the question I'm going to ask you. I would say no. And can you give me an example of anything other than God that's immaterial? Lost logic. Welcome to the Revealed Apologetics podcast. I'm your host, Elias Ayala, and here at Revealed Apologetics, our goal is to equip believers to defend the Christian faith, and we want to equip you to do it in a way that is honoring to God and faithful to Scripture. So sit back, relax, get your thinking caps on, and let's dive into our topic for today. Once again, welcome back to the Revealed Apologetics podcast. Um, I apologize. My voice is going to sound a little weird. Hopefully, it doesn't sound too weird. I've, uh, I have was coming down with a little bit of something, but uh, be that as it may, I'm, I'm here, and we're going to be covering a really, really interesting and fascinating topic, and I think a very important topic. Now, of course, I'm going to say that it's an important topic because what are we doing? <laughs> we are dealing with uh, theology. We're dealing with apologetics, and of course... You know, um, I would affirm that all of this stuff is important, okay? So this episode is going to be very, very theological, and so I hope that uh, you guys could bear with me. I'm actually going to be taking this entire episode uh, to address a question that was sent in to me um, by Daniel. I won't mention his, his whole name, but I appreciate the question, and I appreciate all the folks who are taking the time to listen to these episodes. I hope that you guys are finding them beneficial. And um, so, let's just jump right in, okay? This, this, again, the question that is about to be explained and then asked is very, very important because when we're doing apologetics, we have to understand that apologetics is the defense of the Christian worldview. Now, the content of the Christian worldview involves our theology, the theology that's derived from Scripture, And so apologetics is going to include defending theological points that are revealed to us in Scripture. And so it's not just, you know, answering certain objections. We also need to know the specifics in regards to what we are to believe as Christians. What are we to believe about God, about Jesus, about salvation, and things like that. So all of that... um, um, Are pertinent to the apologetic task and of course even from just the Christian perspective as we are seeking to know about God learn about God and draw closer to him that is going to require us to know um, our doctrine okay so here's the question and then I'm going to lay out my answer with some uh, background information and then an explanation as to how one might answer this question okay Um, Daniel says I watched the video you recently did on Jesus praying so I thought this may be a good question to ask you, and I'll try to break down the question. Now, he's referring to a video I put out um, that was entitled, If Jesus is God, Why Did He Pray? And if you want to know the answer to that question, you can um, check that out on my YouTube channel, in Reve- uh, Revealed Apologetics, and uh, you can take a look there. The video is, things think, is like five minutes long or something like that. So you can check that out, okay? So Daniel writes, One, God is unchanging. We see from Scripture and arguments, such as the transcendental, cosmological arguments, etc., that God is in a timeless, unchanging state. Point two, God is triune in nature. God is one substance, with three persons, as the Nicene Creed puts it, and each person of the Trinity takes on the attributes of the unity of God. So all persons of God are thereby unchanging. Number three, Jesus changes. We, in scripture, uh, we read in Scripture that Jesus feels pain, right? He shouts on the cross. He gets angry overturning the, the, the money-changing tables, right? But these emotions are temporal and come into existence and are felt by Jesus. But this seems to imply that Jesus changes. So how are we to reconcile these? Now, this is very, very important because it is true that we do affirm that God does not change. And when we say God does not change, I would say that that really is in reference to the triune God. The triune God does not change because the triune God is the only God in existence. Remember, um, biblical Trinitarian theology is monotheistic, okay? So I want you guys to keep that in mind. So again, the seriousness of this question is is, uh, kind of a big deal because when we're speaking about Jesus, we're really talking about issues that can define someone in or out of the Christian faith. We're dealing with issues of essential uh, doctrine as opposed to something that is non-essential, okay? And so uh, understanding the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, and how this fits in with the concept of the Trinity is very, very important, right? Jesus himself says that unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins, John 8, 24. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. We read in John 1 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you drop down to verse 14, the Word became flesh. Okay? You have the deity of Christ and the incarnation of Christ, the second person of the Trinity taking on human flesh and dwelling amongst us. Okay? We read in Colossians 2 9, for in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Again, we read in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Or yet again, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and he is the radiance of his glory and the, check this out, and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the power of his word who upholds all things by the power of his word well jesus who is jesus he is the one whose radiance of his glory is the exact representation of his nature okay titus 2 13 the apostle paul declares clearly that jesus is god uh titus 2 13 says looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great god and savior christ jesus okay now many more passages could be produced to make that point very clear. Yet, on the other hand, while Jesus is called God, we see that Jesus also prays to the Father who is also called God. We see this in Philippians 1-2, not that Jesus is praying uh, to the Father. We can see that in the Gospels, but Paul writes in Philippians 1-2, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, God the Father is God, okay? Okay. And then we also have a clear uh, teaching in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is also called God. We see this clearly in Acts chapter 5 verses 3 through 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Okay, So we have the deity of the Father, the deity of the Son, and the deity of the Holy Spirit. Now all this to say, we have when we consider what all of Scripture has to say, we have a clear testimony of the doctrine of the Trinity. Now people might say, well the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible. Well, great, it doesn't, that's true. But neither does the word monotheism, the idea that there is only one God, yet the concept is clearly taught. See, the doctrine of the Trinity is derived from a consideration of all of what the Scripture has to say, and we try to consider all of what the Bible says without isolating passages and concepts. We want to allow the Word of God to speak to us. And when you read from Genesis to Revelation, what you find is that there is one God, and there are three persons called God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? So I want to highlight this idea that the concept of the Trinity within uh, Christ, the Christian doctrine, biblical Christian doctrine, is monotheistic. We believe in one God, okay? It's clear. The scripture teaches that there is only one God. Trinitarians do not affirm more than one God. Isaiah 45.5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Or Deuteronomy 4.39, know therefore today and take it to heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and earth below. There is no other. Okay? Monotheism is taught all over the scriptures. 2 Kings 5.15, Isaiah 45.22, 46 verse 9, and of course Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Okay? So Trinitarian monotheism does not affirm the existence of three beings. OK, that this is the language is important, too, because oftentimes when critics try to criticize the concept of the Trinity, uh, they will misrepresent it by flopping and uh, uh, flopping, I guess, kind of messing up on the words that are used. And these words are hugely important. We do not affirm that God is three beings. OK, that would be polytheism and polytheism is unbiblical. We affirm that there is one being who exists as three persons okay the distinction between being and person is vitally important when defining the trinity if we say that god is three beings then that's polytheism but we don't say that god is three beings we say that he is one being because there's only one god but there's something interesting about this one god that he has a nature that is triune he has um uh he he is I'm gonna explain this. I mean, I I don't want to be too philosophically abstract, um, but let me give you the philosophically abstract definition anyway of the Trinity. At least it helps me um, understand. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches that there is one God with three centers of consciousness. Each center has the characteristic of personhood. Okay. All right, now again, as difficult as that might be to wrap our heads around or whatever, it is itself derived from the text of Scripture. There is only one being who exists as three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And some people have summarized it in that, you know, uh, what is God? God is one being. He is one what and three whos. One what and three whos. God is one being. Well, who is God? He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay Now keeping that at the back burner again, if you're listening to this podcast, there's much more background information that you need to look into if you want to properly understand the doctrine of the Trinity. So um, if you're misunderstanding with what I' what I'm saying, you need to um, look up this topic and understand it correctly so that you stop misrepresenting it. This is, the doctrine of the Trinity is so misrepresented, of course partially due to the um, inability um, of Christians to accurately explain it. Okay, so we make a a clear distinction between being and person. So the triune God is the God uh, in the Bible. He is the true God. The true God is the triune God. But what are some other characteristics of God? And we're going to get to the question that I just asked all the way at the beginning, but we lay the groundwork. Okay, the triune God is the true God of the Bible. And of course, the Bible gives us various attributes or characteristics of the one God. Right. The Bible teaches that God is a spirit, John 4, 24. The Bible teaches that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, Luke 137. The Bible says nothing is impossible for God, and Job 42, 2. The Bible also teaches that God is omnipresent, Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Very famous verse, where can I hide from your presence, right? We can't hide from anywhere. We can't hide anywhere because God is everywhere, Okay. But particular to our topic for this specific episode and the question pertaining to Jesus changing, if Jesus is God, how can he change? God can't change, but Jesus changed. We're calling Jesus God. What gives, right? Now, this is very particular to the topic of what's called the immutability of God. Okay, again, I'm throwing out these theological terms defining it. The doctrine of the immutability of God refers to the idea of the changelessness of of God God does not change Malachi 3 6 for I the Lord do not change therefore O children of Jacob uh, the children of Jacob are not consumed or James 1 verse 17 every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change okay now um, when the Bible speaks of God not changing I believe this is speaking of the triune God. The triune God changes not, okay? Um, The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equally God. They are three persons within the Godhead. This is the language we would use. And they all share um, attributes, right? The Father is not, um, you know, more omnipresent than the Son. And the Son is not, you know, less omnipresent than the Father and the Spirit, right? They are equal because the one being God, is uh, he, he exists as these three persons which are denominated Father Son and Holy Spirit now philosophically speaking the changelessness of God is, is very much rooted in the fact that God is a spirit which transcends space and time right now there is a side theological philosoph- and, the- and philosophical discussion that I'm not going to get into here but it relates to the eternality of God and the timelessness of God There's a difference there. Eternality deals with the idea that God has neither beginning nor end, and the timelessness of God refers to whether God exists or relates uh, to time in some way, shape, or form. We're not going to get into that side very interesting philosophical discussion, but traditionally, the orthodox and biblical position is that God, in his essence, does not change. Okay, now keep this in mind. Now remember the question that we were addressing at the beginning. But what about when the second person of the Trinity took on human flesh? Does this idea conflict with the biblical concept of the changelessness of God? Right? Now the reasoning goes something like this. Is Jesus God? Yes. Okay, That the Bible teaches that. Does God change? No. And so the next point is then why does Jesus experience change? Temporal emotions during his ministry. Jesus had emotions. We read this all throughout the New Testament Jesus wept John eleven thirty five. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature Luke 2 52 and then we also have uh, passages which refer to Jesus getting hungry and uh, Tired and all these other kinds of things. What's going on here. Is this a contradiction? Well, not at all Okay, I think at this particular point. It's very important to have a correct view of Jesus okay i'm going to throw out some more philosophical ter- uh, theological terminology but it's important that folks get this okay when we're understanding the nature of jesus christ when we call jesus christ the god man he is god in in human flesh okay the term theologically is is the term hypostatic union okay the hypostatic union and this doctrine uh relates to the idea of the person of jesus christ having two natures Jesus Christ has two natures, both human and divine. According to biblical theology, while it's true that God is one being who exists as three persons, Jesus Christ is one person who has two natures, both human and divine. Okay, Now, you might be thinking about this and questions are popping up in your head. Christians did not make this up. We didn't want to purposely be difficult. This is the 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 content of revelation we are given in scripture a picture that there is one god and that there are three persons called god the father the son and the holy spirit and so these ideas are derived from a consideration of what all the bible has to say okay it's very very important on this idea the second person of the trinity takes on human flesh john 14 and the second person of the trinity becomes incarnate in the person of jesus and this is called the incarnation when the second person of the trinity took on flesh okay and we we read uh, some passages pertaining to the deity of christ where it says here in philippians 2 5 through 8 having this attitude in yourselves which also was in christ jesus who although he existed in the form of god did not regard equality with God something to be grasped but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men okay so we have this idea of the incarnation very very important uh, and of course we we know about this right if you don't if you're not familiar with the terminology you definitely are familiar with the concept since this is what we celebrate every christmas right uh, we, we celebrate the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ is not merely the birth of a baby. It's the birth of uh, the second person of the Trinity taking on human flesh, all right? Now, Jesus Christ, as the God-man, is truly God and truly man. The second person of the Trinity does not cease to be divine at the incarnation. That's very, very important. But within the Incarnation, we have the amazing concept of both eternality and temporality meeting and coming together. Is the second person of the Trinity eternal? Yes, because the Son is equal to the Father and the Spirit. However, here's a question. Is the man, Jesus of Nazareth, eternal? No. In regards to the human nature, the human nature had a beginning, and experiences change as we see throughout the scriptures. Okay. Now in the New Testament we have passages which give us the deity of Christ. And at the same time we wholeheartedly accept and have no problem at all with those passages that refer to the humanity of Christ. Both are essential to affirm uh, if you're going to hold to biblical Christianity. And they're very very, very important in uh, in relation to the atonement of Christ and why Jesus died and why his his penalty that was paid on the cross could actually uh, bear the sins of of those that were you know bear the sins of the world okay so this doctrine is very much connected to other uh, doctrines all right now there is no change this is important there is no intermixture now this is the and, and again um, as we as we know in theological study that um, just because we derive our theology from the Bible, that does not mean that the Bible always goes into the detailed explanations as to how everything works. Sometimes we need to love the Lord our God with all our mind and dig a little deeper into this, but what we derive from Scripture and what we deduce from scriptural premises is that since God does not change, when the second person of the Trinity took on human nature, these two natures, both human and divine, Um, are within the person Jesus, and in some mysterious fashion, they do not intermingle and become some new substance, right? The divine nature of Christ never changed, but the divine nature of Christ dwelled simultaneously with the human nature in the person Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, this is a great divine mystery. Now, uh, you know, if there are uh, people who are already antagonistic against this concept, you might cry foul at that point. It's like, oh, well, it's a mystery. No, it's a contradiction. No, it's not a contradiction, okay? A contradiction is a violation of the second law of logic. Now, the second law of logic states that a statement cannot be both true and false at the same time and in the same sense, okay? Okay. And so there is a sense in which it is true that Jesus is both divine and human, right? And so we need to allow those senses to be delineated in the scriptural text. That's what, you know, we kind of, uh, are. we base this teaching on what the Bible says. There's nothing contradictory about it. Now, there is something difficult about wrapping our, our minds around that, of course. I have no problem with that. Because something is difficult to understand doesn't mean that it's contradictory. I think that's an important point to keep in mind. So if we can go back to uh, Daniel's question at the beginning of of this episode, uh, when he goes to his third point, he says Jesus changes. We in Scripture read that Jesus feels pain, right? He shouts on the cross. He gets angry. Uh, But these emotions are temporal, and they come into existence. This is true, because Jesus of Nazareth existed in time and space and underwent change. But again, you have to understand those two categories of Scripture. We know on the one hand that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is divine. John 1, 1, John 1, 14, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, uh, Hebrews, uh, I believe 1, 3, all over Scripture. Jesus is divine. Titus. Uh, in the book of Titus, Paul calls uh, Jesus our great God and Savior, okay? We believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. Yet when he was born into the world, he took on a human nature, and in the person of Jesus you had the fullness of deity dwell in bodily form, okay? That's a that's another important um, uh, passage in Scripture to... Um, to consider Colossians 2 9 for in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form let me ask you a, a trick question Jesus is God the biblical answer is yes okay is God everywhere at once well yes well is Jesus everywhere at once well The answer to that question is a kind of yes and no. There's a sense in which he's not, and there's a sense in which he is. Now, that's important because these two senses alleviate this idea from being a contradiction. Remember what I said. A contradiction is when a statement cannot be both true and false at the same time and in the same sense. I'm not saying that Jesus is... Everywhere and not everywhere at the same time and at the same the same way No, I'm saying there's a sense in which he's everywhere and there's a sense in which he's limited uh, To a specific location and the reason why these senses are there is because within the person Jesus there dwells the divine nature which transcends his body and then there's the human nature of Jesus Which is limited to space and time or at least has limited in terms of location all right Jesus lives in the heart of every believer. But the man Christ Jesus is in heaven and we're awaiting his return, right? So these are very very important concepts to uh to understand now again, they're not easy. They are very difficult. Uh these are things that Christians have thought about and discussed and have tried very hard to explain in, in a way that is clear and logical. And of course, that's not always the case. We don't always explain these issues the best way that we can. But it is proper to, uh, to understand what the Bible teaches and what Christian theology teaches in this regard before we criticize, because oftentimes what I find coming from Muslims, coming from a Jehovah's Witness coming from Unitarians in general people who deny the Trinity and affirm something like God is one being who is also one person Right. They deny the Trinity. Um, the criticisms are often based on misrepresentations of what the doctrine of the Trinity actually is All right, so to quickly summarize the answer to the question that Daniel was asking is really when we experience the change passages in Scripture, Jesus is crying, he's eating, he's hungry, he's tired, that pertains to his human nature, okay? When Jesus was crucified on the cross, who died? Well, Jesus in his human nature died on the cross because you can't kill the divine nature because the divine nature is eternal, OK, that's why Jesus can speak of his death, his upcoming death. But he also speaks about taking up his life again. Jesus raising himself up from the dead. OK, so uh, again, we need to allow all of what scripture has to say in this regard. All right. Well, I want to try my very best to keep these podcasts uh, at least under 25 minutes. This will probably go a little over once I add some of the uh introductory stuff and the final comment stuff, but I hope that this episode proves helpful. I encourage you to look up the biblical passages that were used in this episode, and if you have any questions, um, please feel free to, um, to email me at revealedapologetics at gmail.com, okay? So, uh, that's it. Take care, and God bless. Bye-bye. Once again, welcome back to the Revealed Apologetics podcast, um... I apologize. My voice is going to sound a little weird. Hopefully it doesn't sound too weird. I've, uh, I have was coming down with a little bit of something, but, uh, but be that as it may, I'm, I'm here, and we're going to be covering a really, really interesting and fascinating topic, and I think a very important topic. Now, of course, I'm going to say that it's an important topic, because what are we doing? <laughs> we are dealing with uh, theology. We're dealing with apologetics, and of course, You know, um, I would affirm that all of this stuff is important, okay? So this episode is going to be very, very theological, and so I hope that uh, you guys could bear with me. I'm actually going to be taking this entire episode uh, to address a question that was sent in to me um, by Daniel. I won't mention his, his whole name, but I appreciate the question, and I appreciate all the folks who are taking the time to listen to these episodes. I hope that you guys are finding them beneficial. And um, so let's just jump right in, okay? This, this, again, the question that is about to be explained and then asked is very, very important because when we're doing apologetics, we have to understand that apologetics is the defense of the Christian worldview. Now, the content of the Christian worldview involves our theology, the theology that's derived from Scripture. And so apologetics is going to include defending theological points that are revealed to us in Scripture. And so it's not just, you know, answering certain objections. We also need to know the specifics in regards to what we are to believe as Christians, what are we to believe about God, about Jesus, about salvation, and things like that. So all of that... Um, um, are pertinent to the apologetic task and of course even from just the christian perspective as we are seeking to know about god learn about god and draw closer to him that is going to require us to know um our doctrine okay so here's the question and then i'm going to lay out my answer with some uh, background information and then an explanation as to how one might answer this question okay um daniel says i watched the video you recently did on jesus praying So I thought this may be a good question to ask you And I'll try to break down the question Now he's referring to a video I put out um, That was entitled If Jesus is God, why did he pray? And if you want to know the answer to that question You can um, check that out on my YouTube channel uh, Revealed Apologetics And uh, you can take a look there The video is things like five minutes long Or something like that So you can check that out Okay. So Daniel writes One, God is unchanging We see from Scripture and arguments such as the transcendental, cosmological arguments, etc., that God is in a timeless, unchanging state. Point two, God is triune in nature. God is one substance with three persons, as the Nicene Creed puts it, and each person of the Trinity takes on the attributes of the unity of God. So all persons of God are thereby unchanging. Number three, Jesus changes. We, in scripture, uh, we read in Scripture that Jesus feels pain, right? He shouts on the cross. He gets angry, overturning the, the, the money-changing tables, right? But these emotions are temporal and come into existence and are felt by Jesus. But this seems to imply that Jesus changes. So how are we to reconcile these? Now, this is very, very important because it is true that we do affirm that God does not change. And when we say God does not change, I would say that that really is in reference to the triune God. The triune God does not change because the triune God is the only God in existence. Remember, um, biblical Trinitarian theology is monotheistic, okay? So I want you guys to keep that in mind. So again, the seriousness of this question is is, uh, kind of a big deal because when we're speaking about Jesus, we're really talking about issues that can define someone in or out of the Christian faith. We are dealing with issues of essential uh, doctrine as opposed to something that is non-essential. Okay, and so uh, understanding the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, and how this fits in with the concept of the Trinity is very, very important. Right? Jesus Himself says that unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. John eight twenty four. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. We read in John 1 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you drop down to verse 14, the Word became flesh. Okay? You have the deity of Christ and the incarnation of Christ, the second person of the Trinity taking on human flesh and dwelling amongst us. Okay? We read in Colossians two nine, for in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Again, we read in Philippians two, five through eight. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Or yet again, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and he is the radiance of his glory and the, check this out, and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the power of his word who upholds all things by the power of his word well Jesus who is Jesus he is the one whose radiance of his glory is the exact representation of his nature okay Titus 2 13 the Apostle Paul declares clearly that Jesus is God uh, Titus two thirteen says looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus okay now many more passages could be produced to make that point very clear. Yet on the other hand, while Jesus is called God, we see that Jesus also prays to the Father who is also called God. We see this in Philippians 1-2, not that Jesus is praying uh, to the Father. We can see that in the Gospels, but Paul writes in Philippians 1-2, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, God the Father is God, okay? Okay. And then we also have a clear uh, teaching in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is also called God. We see this clearly in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Okay? So we have the deity of the Father, the deity of the Son, and the deity of the Holy Spirit. Now all this to say, we have, when we consider what all of Scripture has to say, we have a clear testimony of the doctrine of the Trinity. Now people might say, well the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible. Well, great, it doesn't, that's true. But neither does the word monotheism, the idea that there is only one God, yet the concept is clearly taught. See, the doctrine of the Trinity is derived from a consideration of all of what the Scripture has to say, and we try to consider all of what the Bible says without isolating passages and concepts. We want to allow the Word of God to speak to us, and when you read from Genesis to Revelation, what you find is that there is one God, and there are three persons called God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, So I want to highlight this idea that the concept of the Trinity within uh Christian doctrine, biblical Christian doctrine, is monotheistic. We believe in one God. Okay? It's clear. The Scripture teaches that there is only one God. Trinitarians do not affirm more than one God. Isaiah 45, 5 says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Or Deuteronomy four thirty nine: Know therefore today and take it to heart that the Lord, He is God in heaven above and earth below. There is no other. Okay? Monotheism is taught All over the Scriptures: Second Kings 5:15, Isaiah 45:22, 46 verse 9, and of course Deuteronomy 6:4. Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God is one. Okay, so Trinitarian monotheism does not affirm the existence of three beings. OK, that this is the language is important, too, because oftentimes when critics try to criticize the concept of the Trinity, uh, they will misrepresent it by flopping and uh, uh, flopping, I guess, kind of messing up on the words that are used. And these words are hugely important. We do not affirm that God is three beings. OK, that would be polytheism and polytheism is unbiblical. We affirm that there is one being who exists as three Persons okay The distinction between being and person is vitally important when defining the Trinity If we say that God is three beings then that's polytheism, but we don't say that God is three beings We say that he is one being because there's only one God But there's something interesting about this one God that he has a nature that is triune he has um, uh, he, he is I'm gonna explain this. I mean, I, I don't want to be too philosophically abstract um but let me give you the philosophically abstract definition anyway of the Trinity. At least it helps me um, understand. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches that there is one God with three centers of consciousness. Each center has the characteristic of personhood. Okay? All right? Now, again, as difficult as that might be to wrap our heads around or whatever, it is itself derived from the text of Scripture. There is only one being. Who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And some people have summarized it in that, you know, uh, what is God? God is one being. He is one what and three who's. One what and three who's. God is one being. Well, who is God? He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, keeping that at the back burner again, if you're listening to this podcast, there's much more background information that you need to look into if you want to properly understand the doctrine of the Trinity. So, um, if you're misunderstanding with what I'm what I'm saying, you need to um, look up this topic and understand it correctly so that you stop misrepresenting it. The doctrine of the Trinity is so misrepresented, of course, partially due to the um, inability um, of Christians to accurately explain it. Okay, so we make a, a clear distinction between being and person. So the triune God is the God uh, in the Bible. He is the true God. The true God is the triune God. But what are some other characteristics of God? And we're going to get to the question that I just asked all the way at the beginning, but we lay the groundwork, okay? The triune God is the true God of the Bible. And of course, the Bible gives us various attributes or characteristics of the one God, right? The Bible teaches that God is a spirit, John four twenty-four. The Bible teaches that God is omnipotent, He's all powerful. Luke one thirty seven. The Bible says nothing is impossible for God in Job forty-two, two. The Bible also teaches that God is omnipresent. Psalm one thirty nine, seven through twelve, very famous verse. Where can I hide from your presence? Right? We can't hide from anywhere. We can't hide anywhere because God is everywhere. Okay. But particular to our topic for this specific episode and the question pertaining to Jesus changing, if Jesus is God, how can he change? God can't change, but Jesus changed, and we're calling Jesus God. What gives, right? Now this is very particular to the topic of what's called the immutability of God. Okay. Again, I'm throwing out these theological terms, and defining it. The doctrine of the immutability of God refers to the idea of the changelessness of Of God God does not change Malachi 3 6 for I the Lord do not change therefore O children of Jacob uh, the children of Jacob are not consumed or James 1 verse 17 every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change okay now um, when the Bible speaks of God not changing I believe this is speaking of the triune God the triune God changes not okay Um, the Father Son and Holy Spirit are all equally God they are three persons within the Godhead this is the language we would use and they all share um, attributes right the Father is not um, you know more omnipresent than the Son and the Son is not you know less omnipresent than the Father and the Spirit right they are equal because the one being God is, uh, he, he exists as these three persons, which are denominated Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, philosophically speaking, the changelessness of God is, is very much rooted in the fact that God is a spirit, which transcends space and time, right? Now, there is a side theological philosoph- and, the- and philosophical discussion that I'm not going to get into here, but it relates to the eternality of God and the timelessness of God. There's a difference there. Eternality deals with the idea that God has neither beginning nor end, and the timelessness of God refers to whether God exists or relates uh, to time in some way, shape, or form. We're not going to get into that side very interesting philosophical discussion, but traditionally, the orthodox and biblical position is that God, in his essence, does not change. Okay, now keep this in mind. Now remember the question that we were addressing at the beginning. But what about when the second person of the Trinity took on human flesh? Does this idea conflict with the biblical concept of the changelessness of God, right? Now, the reasoning goes something like this. Is Jesus God? Yes. Okay, That the Bible teaches that. Does God change? No. And so, the next point is, then, why does Jesus experience temporal emotions during his ministry Jesus had emotions we read this all throughout the New Testament Jesus wept John eleven thirty five. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature Luke 2 52 and then we also have uh, passages which refer to Jesus getting hungry and uh, tired and all these other kinds of things what's going on here is this a contradiction well not at all okay I think at this particular point it's very important to have a correct view of Jesus okay i'm going to throw out some more philosophical uh, theological terminology but it's important that folks get this okay when we're understanding the nature of jesus christ when we call jesus christ the god man he is god in in human flesh okay the term theologically is is the term hypostatic union okay the hypostatic union and this doctrine uh relates to the idea of the person of jesus christ having two natures Jesus Christ has two natures, both human and divine. According to biblical theology, while it's true that God is one being who exists as three persons, Jesus Christ is one person who has two natures, both human and divine. Okay, Now, you might be thinking about this and questions are popping up in your head. Christians did not make this up. We didn't want to purposely be difficult. This is the 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 content of Revelation We are given in scripture A picture that there is one God And that there are three persons Called God The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit And so these ideas are derived from A consideration of what all the Bible Has to say Okay, It's very very important On this idea The second person of the Trinity Takes on human flesh John 1.14 And the second person of the Trinity becomes incarnate in the person of Jesus. And this is called the incarnation, when the second person of the Trinity took on flesh. Okay, and we we read uh, some passages pertaining to the deity of Christ, where it says here in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, having this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men okay so we have this idea of the incarnation very very important uh, and of course we we know about this right if you don't if you're not familiar with the terminology you definitely are familiar with the concept since this is what we celebrate every christmas right uh, we, we celebrate the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ is not merely the birth of a baby. It's the birth of uh, the second person of the Trinity taking on human flesh. All right? Now, Jesus Christ, as the God-man, is truly God and truly man. The second person of the Trinity does not cease to be divine at the incarnation. That's very, very important. But within the Incarnation, we have the amazing concept of both eternality and temporality meeting and coming together. Is the second person of the Trinity eternal? Yes, because the Son is equal to the Father and the Spirit. However, here's a question. Is the man, Jesus of Nazareth, eternal? No. In regards to the human nature, the human nature had a beginning, and experiences change as we see throughout the scriptures okay now in the new testament we have passages which give us the deity of christ and at the same time we wholeheartedly accept and have no problem at all with those passages that refer to the humanity of christ both are essential to affirm uh if you're going to hold to biblical christianity and they're very very, very important in, uh, in relation to the atonement of Christ and why Jesus died and why his, his penalty that was paid on the cross could actually uh, bear the sins of, of those that were, you know, bear the sins of the world. Okay, so this doctrine is very much connected to other uh, doctrines. All right, now there is no change. This is important. There is no intermixture. Now, this is the, and, and again, um, as, we, as we know in theological study, That um, Just because we derive our theology from the Bible, that does not mean that the Bible always goes into the detailed explanations as to how everything works. Sometimes we need to love the Lord our God with all our mind and dig a little deeper into this. But what we derive from Scripture and what we deduce from scriptural premises is that since God does not change when the second person of the Trinity took on human nature, these two natures, both human and divine, um, are within the person Jesus, and in some mysterious fashion, they do not intermingle and become some new substance, right? The divine nature of Christ never changed, but the divine nature of Christ dwelled simultaneously with the human nature in the person Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, this is a great divine mystery. Now, uh, you know, if there are uh, people who are already antagonistic against this concept, you might cry foul at that point. It's like, oh, well, it's a mystery. No, it's a contradiction. No, it's not a contradiction. Okay? A contradiction is a violation of the second law of logic. Now, the second law of logic states that a statement cannot be both true and false at the same time and in the same sense. Okay? And so there is a sense in which it is true that Jesus is both divine and human, right? And so we need to allow those senses to be delineated in the scriptural text. That's what, you know, we kind of, uh, we base this teaching on what the Bible says. There's nothing contradictory about it. Now, there is something difficult about wrapping our our minds around that, of course. I, I have no problem with that. But because something is difficult to understand doesn't mean that it's contradictory. I think that's an important point to keep in mind. So if we can go back to uh, Daniel's question at the beginning of of this episode, uh, when he goes to his third point, he says Jesus changes. We in Scripture read that Jesus feels pain, right? He shouts on the cross. He gets angry. Uh, but these emotions are temporal, and they come into existence. This is true because Jesus of Nazareth existed in time and space and underwent change. But again, you have to understand those two categories of Scripture. We know on the one hand that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is divine. John 1, 1, John 1, 14, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, uh, Hebrews, uh, I believe 1, 3, all over Scripture. Jesus is divine. Titus. Uh, in the book of Titus, Paul calls uh, Jesus our great God and Savior, okay? We believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. Yet when he was born into the world, he took on a human nature, and in the person of Jesus you had the fullness of deity dwell in bodily form, okay? That's a that's another important um, uh, passage in Scripture to... Um, to consider Colossians 2 9 for in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form let me ask you a, a trick question Jesus is God the biblical answer is yes okay is God everywhere at once well yes well is Jesus everywhere at once well The answer to that question is a kind of yes and no. There's a sense in which he's not, and there's a sense in which he is. Now, that's important because these two senses alleviate this idea from being a contradiction. Remember what I said. A contradiction is when a statement cannot be both true and false at the same time and in the same sense. I'm not saying that Jesus is... Everywhere and not everywhere at the same time and at the same the same way No, I'm saying there's a sense in which he's everywhere and there's a sense in which he's limited uh, to a specific location And the reason why these senses are there is because within the person Jesus there dwells the divine nature which transcends his body And then there's the human nature of Jesus which is limited to space and time Or at least has limited in terms of location All right Jesus lives in the heart of every believer, but the man Christ Jesus is in heaven and we're awaiting his return. Right. So these are very, very important concepts to uh, to understand. Now, again, they're not easy. They are very difficult. Uh, These are things that Christians have thought about and discussed and have tried very hard to explain in, in a way that is clear and logical. And, of course, that's not always the case. We don't always explain these issues the best way that we can. But it is proper to, uh, to understand what the Bible teaches and what Christian theology teaches in this regard before we criticize. Because oftentimes what I find coming from Muslims, coming from uh, Jehovah's Witness, coming from Unitarians in general, people who deny the Trinity and affirm something like God is one being, who is also one person, right? They deny the Trinity. Um, The criticisms are often based on misrepresentations of what the doctrine of the Trinity actually is, all right? So to quickly summarize, the answer to the question that Daniel was asking is really when we experience the change passages in Scripture, Jesus is crying, he's eating, he's hungry, he's tired, that pertains to his human nature, okay? When Jesus was crucified on the cross, who died? Well... Jesus, in his human nature, died on the cross because you can't kill the divine nature because the divine nature is eternal. Okay? That's why Jesus can speak of his death, his upcoming death, but he also speaks about taking up his life again, Jesus raising himself up from the dead. Okay? So, uh, again, we need to allow all of what Scripture has to say in this. Regard. All right. Well, I want to try my very best to keep these podcasts uh, at least under 25 minutes. This will probably go a little over once I add some of the uh, introductory stuff and the final comment stuff. But I hope that this episode proves helpful. I encourage you to look up the biblical passages that were used in this episode. And if you have any questions, um, please feel free to um, to email me at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. Okay. So uh, that's it. Take care, and God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to Revealed Apologetics. If you have any questions that you would like me to answer um, on one of our podcast episodes, please feel free to send in your question uh, at revealedapologetics at gmail.com.